the most important thing is what we're doing is giving kids a voice right now. And it's, it's at a time and a period where they're struggling to find their voices. And music is one way to just about guarantee that, you know, regardless of what you look like or, you know, who you are or where you come, I mean, the, the music comes from the soul and, and giving your soul a chance to breathe these days. I think that's a good thing overall for everyone. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelly Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. It's so good to be with you guys again. I have been hard at work. I shouldn't even say hard at work because this isn't hard and it doesn't feel like work. This is fast. This, meaning this podcast, having the opportunity to be with you guys every week is very fast becoming my favorite part of my work. And again, doesn't feel like work. It feels so soul-filling, so stimulating and rewarding, and I could do it all day long. And I've been doing that a lot lately. I'm trying to get into this idea of like batch producing creative work content, including the podcast. It's my way of playing around with how I can be bringing you guys more and more and do it when I'm really in flow. So I'm doing this on one of my content creation days, Tuesdays and Thursdays are my content creation days. I think I talked about that one in my episodes, And it's awesome. I just get into a flow and I get to have these amazing conversations. And more importantly, I then get to share them with you. And today's conversation was with a guy I've known for years now. We were at Harley together. We overlapped in my earlier days at Harley. His name is Ed McGee. And this guy, his resume reads like something else. It is iconic brands from top to bottom. He went to the Naval Academy, spent 15 years in the Marines, became a lieutenant colonel. I don't know a whole lot about the military, but I know that that is really freaking senior ranking. You got to be good and a little competitive, as Ed admits to being. Then he went to Duke, got his MBA, went to business school, kind of took a break and realized, I guess he got recruited by Harley and realized that part of his mission in the world is serving these bigger purposes, like being very purpose-driven. So obviously you are that in the, in the military, in the Marines. It's a very tight community, very purpose-driven. Same at Harley. And then went on to where he is now, which is Fender. He had a little gig in between, but I can't remember the name of the company, so I'm leaving it out. <laughs> and he's a Fender, you guys. You know the badass guitars that a lot of the best musicians in the world, dead and alive, have used. He's there. He's their executive vice president of operations. Ed's been in operations. He was running, had run, I think, three of the plants when I was at Harley, and we got to know each other. 
And now he's running all of Fender's operations from their manufacturing to their new product introduction to their Fender Custom Shop, where famous musicians basically call in orders for crazy stuff. And we talk about the acrylic guitar that they made for the musician Her. And what's really powerful is so much of the work that Ed's doing right now is tied to the broader, bigger purpose of what Fender is trying to do in the world. It surpasses this, you know, the idea of sales, selling guitars. Okay, well, duh, that's the, that's the deal. Or selling musical instruments, I should say. It's, it expands well beyond guitars. And so Ed has become co-president of the Fender Play Foundation, which is really around musical education and giving back to, in this case, they're really focused on middle school students from like fifth grade to eighth grade and donating instruments and the support so they can learn to play and find their voice and express themselves in and feel belonging in a community. And it's really starting to take off. They, they've been doing a pilot in LA with LA, I think it's LA Unified School District that we talk a lot about. And I think they're set to do something big. And so we talk a lot about what is it, well, one, what, what is the, you know, the, the power and the impact and the importance of being purpose-driven and being at a place that is purpose-driven? And also, what's it like to be a leader right now? in this world of COVID, in this world of racial injustice, in this world where employees are, you know, turned inside out and upside down and and looking for their true north. And how do you lead in that? And probably not surprising to those of you who follow me and know me, we get into Brene Brown because Ed has recently discovered Sister Brene. And it's really turning around his way of thinking about how he leads and what he's bringing to his teams in the plants and beyond. It's really cool. So man, for anybody who's like, give me some more about what I can do for myself, what I can do for my employees, how I can think about purpose. This is a juicy episode. You are going to love Ed. And as I said to him at the end, I've had many, many conversations with Ed over the phone and in person. And it just struck me deeply today that he sounds like Barack Obama with just a little bit of a Southern accent. He has that, that resonance and that voice quality and, and he's wise, so powerful to listen to. So without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Mr. Ed McGee. Before we begin, I want to share an offering from my soul to yours. If you've achieved traditional success only to realize that you're living someone else's dream, then this will start you on a profound journey toward becoming chief soul officer of your own life, just like I did. I'm gifting you a free chapter from my book, Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. It's called Liberating from the Shackles of Should. And if you're ready to... Then visit soulbatical.com to download it for free. That's S O U L B B A T I C A L.com. Warning side effects include intense joy and fulfillment. Hey, welcome back, fellow rebel souls. I am here with my dear friend and fellow rebel, Ed McGee. Ed, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much. Great to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Edna, we're just talking off camera and it's like, this is, we don't do this often enough. So this was one of those great excuses for me to reach out and just say, Ed, you are doing cool shit in the world. Like, come on and let's talk and inspire other people. And Ed works for one of the coolest brands on the planet. Actually, your entire resume is like a litany of iconic <laughs> brands from the Marines yeah. to Harley Davidson and now to Fender. Like, it's pretty amazing, my friend. I used this a little bit ago. God loves fools and U.S. Marines, and clearly I'm both of them. So I have been really, really fortunate, you know, just, just to surround myself with amazing people just like you, Shelly. Oh, man. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, you and I crossed paths in at Harley, and that you were at Harley for like a decade. I was at Harley for six and a half years. And I'm so honored that we had a little bit of time overlapping between that and that the universe just kind of keeps bringing us <laughs> together. So, so I'm loving it. I'm listening. I'm listening. So I want to dive into all of it from like the Marines to present day because you guys are doing some really cool shit at Fender. And I want to make sure that we, we share that and talk about it. So I'm going to start with my very favorite question on the planet. What are you rebelling for? There are two specific things right now, Shelly. I think the first is just rebelling for music education you know, specifically middle school music education and specifically, you know, our, our work with the Fender Play Foundation and LAUSD. I, I think these are some just incredible times. And, you know, our kids these days are just growing up with a, an exceptional list of things that they've got to deal with. And, you know, the the study of what music education does to kids and their brains is, is you know, it's it's well-documented, but I think the, the most important thing is what we're doing is giving kids a voice right now. And it's, it, it's at a time and a period where they're struggling to find their voices. And music is one way to just about guarantee that, you know, regardless of what you look like or, you know, who you are or where you come, I mean, the, the music comes from the soul and, and giving your soul a chance to breathe these days. I think that's a good thing overall for everyone. Who? Amen, brother. That is all I have to say. That's such a powerful way to put it. You guys actually need to put that more of that out into your PR. Like some of that language you just use really, of course, it lands with me because I'm all around, like I'm the soul queen, but mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, self-expression and finding your voice and cultivating the next generation of musicians, right? Big time. Big time. And, and I mean, music is such an important part of our lives because, you know, it, it allows us to heal. It allows us to process. It allows us to love. It allows us to protest. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's this fabulous tool. And we, we've got to get in touch with our, our inner voices and, you know, and, and make those human connections. And, and that's where we are at our absolute best as Americans. And I think that's where we're absolute best as, you know, just as human beings. So, yeah. And then part two, all right, I've got a part two, is really just being a rebel for the physical, emotional, and and mental health of our employees right now, and and again, I think this at some level the our, our mission is really tied and ties us to something that is a you know a, a purpose that is greater than ourselves, and I think you know what I'm finding with, with all of our employees right now is just taking the time to back up a little bit and you know engage them where they are today is super critical for leaders to do. And, you know, oftentimes we engage our employees where we want them to be. 
And 2020 is not the year for that because <laughs> we can't pretend anymore. And, you know, there are too many things that are spilling out that, you know, that, that impact physical health, mental health, emotional health. And as leaders, we've got to step up to the plate and, you know, really become rebels for our employees and, and, and their, their overall well-being and health. Oh, I love that. You are speaking to me. I mean, honestly, that's, that's at the epicenter of what Soulbatical stands for, right? Mm-hmm. It's so much about becoming chief soul officer of our own lives. Right. And if we can meet people where they are and help them do that for themselves and give them the space right. and the tools right. and the support to do right. that, whoo. I want to hear about more companies doing that. I'm curious, like what, let's just start here. And then, and then I'm going to take a big step back because I just want to talk about this journey you've been on that just led to all of this greatness. But tell me a little bit about how are you meeting employees where they are right now? Because I think that's easy to say having, you know, walked in your well, different shoes, but similar shoes in the corporate world for a while. And it's hard to deliver on. It's- it is. It, it is. It, it's a challenge, but I, I think fundamentally, it's what leaders need to be doing more of today. So, you know, following the murder of George Floyd, obviously for a lot of our African American employees and all of our employees, I mean, just watching the horrific event it was it was process. I mean, you, everyone has a lot to process. So we we had a, a big meeting with our marketing team, and you know, we we kind of talked about how how are our black employees feeling right now. And what, what I articulated was African-American people of color, and I would assume everyone at some level, you, you've got this box. And in this box, you pack in all those micro and macro aggressions that you've experienced over the course of your lifetime. And for, for myself personally, and I would venture to say for African-American employees, when these events happen, you're, you're not just dealing with the event. That box, the lid on that box pops open, and you're dealing with the event and just the culmination of all of the stuff in the box. And, you know, I had some of, you know, some of our African-American employees, you know, call me up and say, hey, look, you know, I, I, I was literally just weeping before the meeting and had to kind of clean myself up and pretend that everything is okay. And I, and I think for a lot of our employees, just in general, everyone at some level has that box. And when these events happen that just shock the, you know, sh- shock our systems, we're, we're just forced to deal with all of it. And, and for African-American employees, and I'll, again, I'll speak for myself, is, you know, we, we feel obligated to pack everything in that box and walk into work every day and pretend that everything is okay. And, you know, I think for me personally, in, in sharing that experience and, and reflecting on it, it just forced me into the space of, you know, of, of intellectual curiosity around, okay, I've got to, I got to prepare myself. If, if I'm going to be a, a leader in the organization, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to help all of our employees just deal with, with these challenges... I've got to get in a mental space myself personally where I can get a, you know, ahead of that. And that's, that's kind of where I've been digging into our buddy, Brene Brown. So, Oh, I um, was just going to say that this has <laughs> to be the connection. Okay. So, so just oh. a little insider scoop for everybody listening or watching right now. So Ed and I were just kind of chatting last night over text and I don't even remember how it came up, but you were like, Brene Brown is my new spirit animal. And I was like, hello, mm. do you know that I worship to this woman? She is yeah. my queen. If there were one of those prayer candles that had Brene on it, <laughs> I'd have them like all over yeah. my freaking house, right? Yeah. So tell me more about that exploration because man, she is she rocks my world every time. I, I think what's interesting is again, as leaders, you know, when you have a problem, 
the obvious thing is, okay, we've got to go explore the problem and then develop a set of tools that we can use to learn how to deal with the problem. And what, what, what I've enjoyed the most about, you know, the podcast and, and her books and her talks is, you know, just, just the, there's a basic set of tools around dealing with emotion and shame and well-being. And as a leader exploring that and then, you know, again, applying some of that to my experiences it just gets me in a headspace where I'm better prepared to engage and, and, and deal with our employees, you know, and, and I think 2020 is ex- just com- is exacerbating that need. And we, we don't have a great set of tools around dealing with emotions. And, you know, it's not taught in schools or our, our, our kids right now. And, you know, it's just devastating seeing the pictures of kindergartners, you know, on Zoom meetings all day long. I, I, I can't imagine how hard this is for them. And, adults right now we've lived our lives especially as males where we say you know don't show your emotions you know stuff all those emotions in a box and and don't deal with them and then you're weak if you do and my observation is the exact opposite is true and you know i've had some interesting conversations with our employees that hey look the objective is not not to ask for help you know if you ask for help as as a leader it's 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 just an obligation and absolutely the right right thing to do but if you're if everyone is stuffing everything in their box right now and not dealing with it, then, you know, at some level that lid's going to pop off and that's when the, you know, the, the, the bad things tend to happen. So Brene's combination of storytelling and just the research that she's done in this space, I think has helped me personally to kind of get my mind in the right space to actually help our employees, you know, deal with a lot of these very, very challenging issues. Yeah, the work that I was telling you this last night, I got certified in her dare to lead work. And I think some of the most powerful things she talks about touch on exactly what you're saying. So it was almost weirdly enough, exactly a year ago, September of last year in San Antonio, Texas, a group of us went down to train with her. Mm. And one of the things that I think about every single day is armored fear-based leadership Mm -hmm. versus daring leadership. And what is the difference between those two things? And so many of the aspects of what you're revealing that I think we used to call weak are actually strengths, that vulnerability, that courage, those difficult conversations, rumbling with difficult topics. That's it. Yeah. What's funny is I'm on a board with, for Boys and Girls Club of Metro LA. And uh, one of our board members is actually the Dean of Religious Studies at USC. And he's also a assistant provost for crises management. And, you know, basically he gets all, he gets to deal with all the hard stuff. Right. And he had a a few very interesting observations. He said, first of all, the thing that we used to, you know, call millennials and Gen Z and, you know, we call them, you know, snowflakes and because they live their life online. He said, after eight months of all of us adults living our life online, we're breaking up and falling apart. So he's like, the ultimate irony is the thing that we were, you know, just, just, saying, oh, you guys are a bunch of snowflakes. It's like, all right, well, there's a level of acknowledgement that, you know, this interaction may not be enough and we've got to explore more about ourselves and about our folks and connect in a very, very different way. So, that, you know, that, that was super interesting. And then the other big lesson that, that you know, he, he articulated was we've replaced all of the kind of, we were at the office just bumping into folks. You know, you could solve a lot of problems in between meetings. And now everything has turned you know, from a two minute to a conversation, two minute conversation to either a 30 minute or one hour Zoom meeting. And he said, everyone's rubber band is just staying stretched. And if you're stacked up back to back to back, you don't even have time to go to the restroom. Yeah. You don't have time to let your rubber band, your brain just kind of, you know, 
relax itself a little while to get engaged and again, bring your whole self to work. So I find it interesting that you know, the the need for leaders to really have a, a language and a set of tools around emotional intelligence, around emotional well-being, and, you know, really thinking about our whole employees and, and, and our ability to not have them armor up coming up, you know, coming into work. I mean, that, that that's that's a new set of leadership skills that we've got to develop and develop quickly. Yeah, absolutely. That work is so powerful. And I love mm-hmm. that you're leading that. So kudos for just diving into it because it's, it is hard work. And especially oh. now we're in the, yeah, in the world of that brings up more and more about diversity, equity, mm-hmm. inclusion, belonging, right. And, and how can I be my whole self at work and how can I express to you, you know, the impact of, maybe what you said, how can I have those difficult conversations, but sitting on the same side of the table? And it is, it is like, it's one, it's a completely different way of thinking about how we show up at work. And two, it requires different tools. And I think that's what she does so brilliantly. And Mm -hmm. she actually had a post. I was just, hold on, I'm pulling this up. I took a picture of what she put on. It was LinkedIn today. Mm -hmm. She says, I'm just going to read this to you real quick. I'm curious what it brings up for you. Mm -hmm. She said, I am here for my purpose. I'm not here to make people comfortable or to be liked. My purpose is to know and experience love. This means excavating the unsaid in the world Mm -hmm. and in me. Knowing and experiencing love means calling shame, fear, dehumanization, and injustice by their birth name, lovelessness. Mm. It means finding love in beauty, art, music, and nature. It means not turning away from pain or working pain out on other people. Knowing and experiencing love requires making connections between experiences and emotions that often feel a million miles apart. And for me, love always requires living into courage and faith. She's packing a lot. (laughs) She wrote a whole blog post behind that. I will will put the link in the show notes and and, and I'll send it to you. She wrote an entire blog post behind that saying, because she's been getting nasty notes, comments mm-hmm. from people saying, stick to your research, lady. Oh, God. You know? yeah. And yeah. she's like, listen, my work is apolitical, but I've been talking about this stuff from my very first book. This is not new. Right. I'm not jumping on a George Floyd bandwagon. Right. I'm not, you know... Right. She makes she makes some very, very pointed comments about Trump and his use of shame and, and dehumanization and mm-hmm. humiliation and all of that. And she's like, you know, and it's okay for you to say it's time for me to, you know, unfollow you yeah. <laughs> if this isn't working for me. But I find her tools to be very powerful so we can have these very conversations. Actually, right. when we disagree, even more right. than when we agree. Well, well, I mean, I think, you know, it's just the whole shut up and dribble kind of you know, the, the, the narrative around that is fundamentally the antithesis of what she articulated, right? It is, you know, your, your experiences, your, none of those things are valuable. So just shut up and do your research. And it's like, that's completely the opposite of what we need as individuals, as husbands and fathers, as, as human beings right now. The impact of COVID is real. The impact of racism in America is real. It takes a toll on people. And if, if we don't take the time to address that problem, it's it, the same thing that happens when you ignore any problem, you know, is it, going to happen. It, it explodes after a while. 
Yeah. And as leaders, it's our obligation to jump into that kind of icky space and, and, and connect and, and respect our employees and acknowledge their pain. And, you know, at, at some level, I, I think one of my big challenges is how do I make sure that I'm in the right headspace to do that? How, you know, am I prepared to recognize emotion, you know, and, and, and its impact on our employees? And, you know, it's, it's crazy. One, you know, one of my wonderful employees was like, you know, I, you know, I've, I've got a special needs kid that's at home, you know, challenged with going from one teacher to five teachers. And I'm at work, you know, working to keep everyone safe in the factory. And I mean, it, it, it's overwhelming. And just carving out time for check-ins that are beyond 15 minutes and how you're doing. And, you know, we, we, we chat for an hour when I go out to the factory because folks need that. Yeah. We, we need to keep the space and I need to lead by example, right? I, I, I need to show that I'm vulnerable and this impacts me. And I, I recognize and acknowledge, you know, your pain. And once we get into that space, then, you know, we can get into problem solving mode and we, you know, we can figure out how to work together to more effectively take care of ourselves, our customers and the country. Yeah. And we're doing it human to human. And that's a beautiful, that's beautiful way to model it. Well, that's I have it. a question for you too, because another another aspect of modeling in times like this, right? Especially because you are experiencing this very personally and have been a long time before most of us saw that George Floyd video, right? Right. right. What are you doing for yourself to create that space for yourself, to stay in that heart space and that head space, because it can be completely overwhelming. Right. I, I, one of the things I started doing is, you know, we, I started walking every month. So I was, I'm perpetual overworker, right? So I generally work six days a week, wake up early into the office first. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the workaholic. And what I have done is because I don't have a commute anymore, uh, I take an hour in the mornings to go for a walk. And what I, you know, I started just taking a walk, feeling better, listening to music. And then it was like, okay, I can actually use this time effectively to, you know, to get in that headspace. And that's, that's part of where I discovered, you know, Brene, I'm, I'm going to be leading up our African-American employee ERG. And again, it's like, I've got to get prepared for this. I've got to get prepared for, you know, tough conversations and, you know, recognizing what's going on in employees and figuring out how to facilitate a conversation where everyone feels better about the conversation at the end. And, so that's, you know, every, I've listened to a couple of her podcasts multiple times on multiple walks, but in that hour, it's just, you know, getting into the headspace, thinking about the tools, reiterating the stories and, you know, and, and understanding that, you know, as a leader, I'm a storyteller and I've, I've got to think about those stories ahead of time so that I can articulately convey and connect people to, you know, to that bigger sense of purpose that we have at Fender today. So I, I just take that hour every morning to listen to podcasts, and to really think about what is going on in the day, not just the transactional things about making the business work, but literally about my employees and, you know, how are they doing beyond the just fine, right? So... Because there's many layers beyond that. Well, and also what I love and what I'm hearing is, so first of all, kudos to taking that hour in the morning, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I do think there are gifts. This COVID's been hard. Right. All of this has been hard on many, right. many levels and different for each one of us. And mm-hmm. yet creating that space and seeing that there are gifts there and giving yourself this time right. is beautiful. I mean, I know creating those new habits, you're probably not going to want to let them go. And I know you have a long ass <laughs> commute. <laughs> Being in LA, right, and running all of manufacturing amongst many other things for Fender. So, 
I think that's powerful. And what you're also getting at is this idea of being versus doing. Like, how can you also model to your employees? How can we all model every day how we show up? Because it's not about ticking the to-do list. It's about how we're showing up. It's it's a challenge and interesting. I you know I, I've been super fortunate to work for some just amazing brands. And you mentioned you know the Marines, Harley Davidson, and, and Fender. And I think as human beings, when we are part of something bigger than ourselves, that's, that's the ultimate motivator. In that reflective space, you know, we talk about Fender's mission, and this came from Leo Fender. You know, the, the, the vision is angel, artists are angels. Our job is to give them wings to fly, right? Our, our mission is to serve players at every stage. And I, I think there's the idea of service and what that means, you know, for, for employees is you're connecting to something bigger. And if we just spend time with our employees on the transactional aspects of running the business and not take that additional time to kind of connect them to something bigger, giving work value and purpose, you know, it, 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 it helps us to deal with all the challenges that we're facing. And, you know, that's the armor that I want our employees to wear. It's, it's the armor of, you know, just a level of emotional intelligence, a level of knowing that your leaders care about you, a level of, you know, we, we, we can take the space and the time to just talk about how you're doing. And that's a value that I think makes organizations much more resilient. So leaders have to lead by example in that space, you know, with, with, with equal focus on all the rest of the leadership tools that we, you know, we, we bring to bear. Yeah, I love that. Okay. And since we're talking about the iconic brands again, I'm going to take us on a giant step back because it's funny, as I was thinking about your background, your history, all the incredible things you've done, the, this one question kept coming to my mind. I'm like, okay, he spent 15 years in the Marines. You were a freaking lieutenant colonel in the Marines. And the brands that you have served since then are all about self-expression and a level of rebelliousness and yes, community, yes, purpose. But it's almost like the antithesis of what I think of when I think of the military, right? So I wanted to go all the way back to even understanding like what led you to the Marines mm-hmm. And what kept you there? And then let's kind of pull the thread forward to then you getting into all these other rebellious spaces, which are the, you know, almost the antithesis of. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think I, I was, again, I come from a family of educators and, uh, you know, this goes back to, you know, the universe kind of bringing you full circle. So, you know, my parents are both educators. My, 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 my wife's parents are both educators. I grew up, you know, around a family of educators. So, Again, the word service comes to mind. So when I think about my hard wiring as a, as a kid, it was like service and hard work were core to everything that we learned. And, you know, I, I got into the Naval Academy and, you know, I, I looked around. I was a, you know, just a humble kid, completely intimidated by all the, you know, the walking geniuses, geniuses, all American athletes, you know, surrounded. It was, it was super, super intimidating. And, you know, it took me a little while to find my space. And once I did, you know, I, I just kind of keyed in on, you know, who, who are the role models at the Naval Academy? And for me, my company officer and, you know, the, the, the Marines there just, they seemed to, you know, puff their chest out a little more. There was just a, you know, it, it was almost like they walked and they didn't touch the ground around the campus, right? It was almost a, mytho- you know, at, at some level, a, a mytho- mythology around the Jedi warriors. And, that really appealed to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little competitive by nature. So, you know, I, I just saw who the Marines were, how they handled themselves. 
And I said, you know, I, I just want to surround myself around the best. And f- for me, that decision became simple. And, you know, I had a great career, 15 years, you know, two squadrons, A6s and F-18s, and, you know, some of the some of the most fantastic people that I've met in the course of my life to this day. And the Marine experience just reinforced that beginning around hard work and service. And, you know, at, at their core, it's service to the country, it is service to the mission, it is service to other Marines. And I, I was in continual self-reinforcing loops around literally service and, and working hard being the best. And, uh, you know, as I, my wife and I made the decision to transition, you know, I thought I'd go into consulting or banking and, you know, quite honestly, you know, business school, the, the two-year program at Duke going full-time just gave me a chance to kind of decompress all of my experiences and really understand what I wanted to do. And, you know, I met some Harley folks at a National Black MBA conference and uh, they reached out and I, I quite honestly hadn't thought about Harley at all. But when I did, it fed it, it just completely fit in with all the rest of the things that, you know, that, that I'd grown up to believe in. And it's, you know, th- this mission of, you know, of, of Harley about, you know, just, just dreams and, you know, just connecting. Actually, the, if you remember the work that we did on brand, where it's like rebel and muscle and icon and bond and fire and all, all of these really, inter- it resonated with me and it was just a continuation for me. And I, I, again, love that Harley Davidson experience because we were a family. And even though one of our, you know, our previous CEOs said, no, we're not, we're, we're a business now. I, I think when Harley is at its best, it is when this sense of family and community and connection to the environment, to the bike, to our friends, you know, th- that's when the organization is at its absolute best. And then I get to go do this again at Fender because it's very much the same sense of, you know, just connection to a bigger mission. And in this case, it's music. And with the Fender Play Foundation, it's music education. And it's just reinforcing all the things that I think I learned from my, my parents in a community of teachers, you know, who really just reinforce work hard, always learn, always, always be learning. And, you know, work at being the best, serve a mission greater than yourself. So I, I think that's the common theme through, through my career and through my, you know, through my life experiences. And it all start, started with public school educators. That's wild. Where did you grow up again? So Lafayette, Louisiana. Okay. Louisiana. So, um, yep. Yep. I was the, you know, uh, again, the, I was the smart nerd, <laughs> you know, through all of elementary school and high school. And, and, and again, I think a lot of that was just the, you know, some of those lessons of, of all those amazing educators that, that were in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no one's calling you a nerd anymore, my friend. Hello. Look at you. Well, it's like he rides badass motorcycles and he riffs on badass guitars. Well, what, well I tease my girls because, you know, my girls saw that I was a math major at the Naval Academy. And, she, and you know, in one of our conversations, like, oh, dad, you're a nerd. And my response was, babe, nerds get paid. Just remember that and repeat after me. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and, and this isn't what you want to say to them, but it's like nerds get laid too. Big <laughs> <laughs> time, like the, well, all, all that. Yeah. Well, that, that's for another conversation and probably with some drinks. <laughs> exactly. That's our, that's our next happy hour. <laughs> oh, awesome. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Well, and I do think I love that you brought it back to this being very purpose driven. Mm-hmm. because that makes complete sense. And that is, I think, how all of us are getting through, get through any hardship, right? right? The pandemics we're going through now, for me, the realization of, oh my God, I don't want to be complicit in racism. I want to be an anti-racist, right? right. And 
at understanding my purpose and my, you know, how that aligns with my purpose and my mission in the world. Like it keeps us going because otherwise it's really, this stuff is overwhelming. And I, I love Brene's perspective that either you're dismantling the system or you're supporting it. There's no, there's no neutral, there's no yeah. middle ground. So are, are we actively engaged in dismantling it? And that, that's, that's where progress occurs. And, you know, you hear, oh, well, you know, he said those racist statements, but he's a nice person. It's like, yeah, well, you know what? We, we, we can't confuse the fact of the statements and the system and the, you know, the, 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 the sense of the, the firefighting arsonist of, you know, creating this, this mad system. And now the reckoning has occurred. And, you know, interesting in one of the, one of my walks with Brene in the morning, and I was thinking around, you know, thinking about how, how this is impacting the country. And I, th- I think when there are events that kind of sh- shock our system around our sense of invulnerability, it forces the country to kind of go into this self-reckoning mode. And, you know, they're looking at all of those ugly, squishy things, and we don't have a good language around how to deal with that. Because our language has been suppress the emotion, we're invincible, you know, we, you know, the, the, all the messages around invincibility allow us and, and give us room to not deal with these things. So, you know, post-Vietnam, post-9-11, right? At some level, the election of Barack Obama just created a, a space where there was a reckoning of, oh my God, what, what is happening here? And the country turns inward. Yeah. And I, I think now leaders have to spend a little time understanding that, you know, what is happening and, you know, how do we, what behaviors do leaders need to model so that we can get to the other side of this madness? And I think that's the big challenge right now. It's just that we, we need leaders to be very reflective of what is happening and understanding historically the context of what's going on and then getting ourselves prepared to get everyone else prepared to get to the other side because that's we're, right. we're, we're going to get there. We're going to do it together. And the only way out is through. And I think so often we try to find the way around Around. the shortcut or the life hack or the whatever. And the truth is there is no other way out than through. And so let's get prepared to go through this together. Exactly. As you just said. Right, 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 right. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there's so many relevant lessons from, from some of Brene's talks around exactly that. And it's like, there's no choice. You've, you've got to deal with it. You absolutely have to deal with it in a way that brings everybody together, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's a challenge. It's an yep. icky space sometimes. I love Glennon Doyle says we can do hard things. Mm-hmm. And that to me is one of the things I've been saying every morning, right? During these times, we can do hard things. And you know yeah. what? There are gifts in doing hard things. We right can't up. see them right now, but we just have to keep taking <laughs> one step forward, right? Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, show the, the, the leadership challenge that everyone's facing. Again, it's COVID on top of racial injustice. I mean, the stack up of challenges, again, it's, it's, it's forcing a lot of reckoning and, you know, a lot of self-reflection. And I, I think our biggest challenge is we don't have a great set of tools. And that, that's where I'm spending my time right now is just trying to figure out a good set of tools for myself personally so that I can, you know, I can prepare myself. And more importantly, it's, you know, how do we engage our employees with that set of tools to teach them how to, you know, yeah. how to deal with and how to manage. And, and you know, it, it's, we're asking everyone to do a lot right now. You know, we're going to get to the other side of this. And I think, you know, that's, that's my other talk track is I'm, I'm a glass half full, full, you know, kind of, kind of a guy. And it's like, that is a coping mechanism for me. It's like, okay, this is tough, but 
how do we get to the other side? How do I stay ahead? You know, okay, I, I'll drop below the line for a second. Oh, this sucks. Okay, but now what brings me back up is just I, I've got to get myself ahead of my folks. I've got to get that set of tools so that I can lead by example to, you know, to, to, to better affect the change that we need to do right now. And, and, and again, Brene has just given me a ton of tools and just, you know, talk tracks and, and opportunities to tell stories about this that, you know, that, that helps move everyone along. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Keep filling your glass because the fuller your glass is, the more you can help others fill theirs. That's it. And, right? And you're going to get through this in a much healthier way as well. So just to kind of really bastardize that whole metaphor. <laughs> That's, yeah. It, I mean, it, it's it's that, that positive talk track. You've got to figure out how to, you know, either turn it on authentically or, or sometimes, and you know this too, you got to fake it until you make it, right? It, it's, it's, you know, you, what, what, what our employees need to see is us believing that we're going to get to the other side. Yeah. You know, they, they, they'll sniff out a fake. So we've got to get into a space to say, hey, look, we can get to the other side. And I love your earlier point. We can't go around this. We got to go through this because the problem won't go away unless we go through it and address it. And I, I think that's, that's probably what scares people today. 100% because it is scary. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the beauty of this is to acknowledge, hey guys, this is scary, right? For you as a leader, for me as a leader to say, I, I'm scared, I'm scared, right? We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. For some of this, we haven't ever been through, right. you know, this particular flavor of global pandemic, right? Talking about COVID specifically for a second. Right. We don't know what it's going to look like. So I think even acknowledging that we don't have all the answers, we don't have Teflon that makes us fearless. You know, all of those things. That's also part of that authenticity and that vulnerability. Right. Oh, I mean, w- w- without a doubt. And I mean, it's, 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 it's been humbling. It's, it's, you know, just at some level, just the, the reckoning and, and taking the time to just humble yourself to the journey. Right. I think, you know, our, our employees, you know, our, our, they need to see that we're being impacted by this too. You know, we can acknowledge our own, you know, our own pain and the, our own challenge. And I'll, I'll give you an example. We, we meet daily as an operations team around COVID. And it tends to be, a, you know, a little bit of a tactical call, checking in with the folks, find out what's going on. Think about, I call it the low beams and the high beams conversation. So the low beams, really tactical, what's right in front of us or, you know, how's testing going? How's PPE going? Are we taking, you know, are we taking care of employees? And then the high beams piece is, you know, really around thinking about what's coming in the fall. And then, you know, what, what are the other elements of this that we need to think about? What other investments do I need to make? And what I've done a few times lately is as, as we've kind of got, gotten a little more comfortable with keeping our employees safe is I will divert that whole meeting and we'll talk about the big picture about what's going on with the company. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's in those conversations around, you know, hey, what's going on with the business? What's going on with LAUSD? You know, we, we're, we're going to have helped. We're, we will have provided 3,000 instruments for students as, you know, as they go into the fall. And isn't that great? And, you know, the, the work that we're doing has such an important mission and purpose. And, you know, we'll do a whole meeting, a whole 45 minutes where we're talking about what else is going on. And the feedback that I've gotten from my employees is that's, you know, we need that, right? We, we're, we're really good at focusing at the tactical and the transactional, but it's just taking a little bit of time to have the high beams conversation and, and, and step back and, and think about things and think about the, the impact of your work and what it's having on kids. One of, one of the stories that I told 
the LAUSD staff said, "Will you, know, you explain uh, LAUSD? Because I know this. Sure, I'm sorry. So th- this goes back to your very first rebelling for because this is the music music education right. piece, right? So this right. is your maybe your Fender Play Foundation and LAUSD just to give context sure. for it because I want to dig into this piece. Sure. So the Fender Play Foundation, Evan Jones, our CMO, and I became co-presidents of the Fender Play Foundation this year. The mission is to equip, educate, and inspire the next generation of player in school and after school. So we were literally, we had transitioned uh, our foundation away from kind of just giving guitars to everyone. And, you know, it, it, it's, there are a lot of great reasons why you want to give kids guitars, but our CEO, Andy Mooney, love him to death. You know, it's like, we really got to focus the mission of the foundation on the mission and purpose of the business. And our company is very uniquely positioned to just line those up perfectly. So we got started working with the foundation. We started visiting Turnaround Arts, which is an amazing program at the Kennedy Center. It was started by Michelle Obama. They focused on arts and music education for underperforming schools and using the you know, arts and music education to turn schools around. So we went and did some benchmarking and then COVID hit. And we had met with the superintendent of LAUSD. So LAUSD is the second largest public school system in the country, well over half a million kids. I, I believe it's almost 700 or 800,000 students when you include wow. adult education. I mean, it's, it's gigantic, $7.9 billion budget, 66,000 teachers and staff. I mean, it's, it's, it runs from basically Pasadena to the, to the Pacific Ocean, right? So it's, it's a really, really giant organization. And Superintendent Butner knew that he needed at summer school as, as when COVID hit, he called and said, Hey, I think we need to do a pilot for music education. And literally we were talking about, okay, with COVID hitting, we're going to be shrinking. We've got, you know, we, we, we probably need to push the foundation aside. Right. And, and just take a pause and we get this call. And I remember being on a staff call, you know, standing in the office and I, I got the text from the superintendent and he said, Hey, I think we need to do this. I bring it up to the executive team. And the answer was immediately just, yes. I mean, there, there was no, Thinking about it, it's the right thing to do. It's in our community. It's in our backyard. The public schools are going to be incredibly challenged this year. Yes. The answer was yes. So we did the summer school pilot and we, <laughs> we asked Superintendent Butner, how many folks do you want to do in the pilot? What are you thinking? Like 250 or 300? And he's like, a thousand kids. That's awesome. And we kind of choked and went, mm, okay. <laughs> and literally we had to fly instruments in from Europe to support the program. Cause it was, you know, it was much bigger than we expected. And, you know, we, we, we got through the summer pilot, had a celebration, the kids, I mean, just, it, it, it's, it's been rewarding knowing that our work is very much tied to, you know, again, music education in middle school, giving kids a voice and we're just learning so much. Shelley. You know, there are a lot of great music and arts education programs in elementary schools. There are a ton of great music education, music and arts education programs in high schools, but middle school is, typically underserved. And ironically, that's the age where kids are finding their voice, right? That, those are those transition years where, you know, there aren't a lot of outlets. You've got all these home. I mean, all these changes are happening and it's, it's an underserved population. So we focused in on, you know, on middle, I mean, everything just came together and it was, it was some of the most gratifying work that I've done mostly because it felt like the universe was giving me a chance to pay all those teachers who had impacted my life, yes. who had taught me about service. It was my turn to give something back to them. Oh. I mean, it, 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 it's been thrilling. And 
the, the, the story, long road to a short house, but the story was that one of the administrators who's working on this program with us and we've integrated into the Schoology, I mean, the work from our, our digital team and the LAUSD staff has been amazing, but one of the teachers or one of the administrators shared a story. The older son took the ukulele class and he said he would, he takes the ukulele everywhere now and he, he's got, a, you know, two boys and he says now the sons, the last thing that they do before they go to bed at night is the older son in bunk beds plays his ukulele to the younger son every night. Wow. And he said, you know, in a summer that we thought would be the worst summer ever, this turned into a new connection with the sons, you know, his love of music and, you know, just watching the younger brother say, hey, go learn this song. And then the older brother goes and learns a song. And then, I mean, he said, it's just creating this amazing connection. That's some powerful stuff, Shelley. And that's why I come to work every day, right? And that's, that's, that's why I work six days a week. Oh. That's why I, you know, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's to be able to do that kind of good and have that kind of impact. Yeah. Well, and you guys have, so I was reading up a little bit on this because I was like, what is this thing? I'm so <laughs> interested. And I knew you would tell me all about it. But at the same time, one of the things that really struck me is you have some big name artists behind this. So now you guys have said, oh, wait, there's something here. And this is part of our, I mean, that whole, what is that quote again? I think I have it written down here. The all artists are angels right. and our job yeah. is to give them wings to fly. Yeah. Like that alone, like let's all just sit with that. Like that as a purpose statement, just like that's from the soul. It right? is. And now you're doing that in a myriad of ways in a time when the world needs this more than ever and in public schools where we're constantly fighting for the arts period. Right. And it, it, it's, you know, the more that we learn you know, the, the more that I realize that, you know, it, it's arts and music education and, and, you know, that language of emotional intelligence, all of those things that we considered soft skills, those are going to be the hard skills that matter, right? Yeah. Because having that voice, having that creativity, have, you know, creativity and, and innovation, all, all of, you know, Renee, that comes from a place of love and vulnerability and risk and letting kids learn those lessons at that age, you know, when, when in, in, in those kind of, middle years. I mean, th that's giving them tools to deal with all the rest of the craziness that, you know, the, 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 they will be challenged with over the course of the rest of their lives. So, you know, there, there's great meaning and purpose in the work. And, you know, when we share what we do with our employees, I mean, it, their chests bow out a little bit. And I mean, it, it, it does make you proud to wake up and go to work every day when, we, when you're connected to, you know, a mission and purpose that, that delivers that level of, of, of impact. Yeah. So where does it go? I know, first of all, you kind of went gulp at the thousand, <laughs> at the thousand instrument number. And now you said 3000 instruments. And I think there's an even bigger goal. I'm just super curious, sure. like, where yeah. is this going? Because this is right now, you're having that impact in one single city, right. albeit a mega city in this country in Los Angeles. Right. But I'm thinking like, oh my God, the world needs more of this. And Fender, of course it would be Fender. And, and I got to get a lot of, lot of credit to our CEO. Andy, you know, really told us, hey, look, there's a lot of good that you can do. You got to focus locally first to build the system up and understand what's going on. And I think that has been, you know, some of the best guidance overall. We want to do it in a lot of other places. We will have 5,000 kids. We will have given 5,000 kids access to instruments in the course of a year. 
and we're, we're committing to 6,000 instruments every year. So that, wow. you know, the, in the spring, in the summer, and in the fall, un, until we have, uh, again, Superintendent Buechner, we're like, how big do you want to do this? And he said, ah, oh, 35,000 kids. And we kind of went, woof, <coughs> 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 okay. And, and again, great reason and purpose. When you look at middle school, when you look at all the different options of arts and music education, you know, that 35,000 kids in middle school, one class in LAUSD has between 30 and 35,000 kids. So when we focus on, you know, fifth grade through eighth grade, you know, that, that's, that's a good solid number of, of kids who can pick up the skills and do the creative thing and learn, you know, learn the lessons around creativity and vulnerability and, and find their voice. And that just felt like a good solid size. So in conjunction to the instruments, what we're doing is working with our, our Fender Play, our learning app. And again, some great innovations during the summer around synchronous and asynchronous learning. And you know, we were, I was just on a call with uh, some of the staff from LAUSD. And what they said is the teachers who did the summer enrichment programs were way more prepared for the fall yeah. because they had done all, you know, it was with guitar and it was really cool. But what they learned was what are the problems that the kids have with Zoom? How do you keep their, you know, so they had, they had a trial run with all the things that were going on in the fall. And what, what Dr. McCarthy, Stephen McCarthy, who heads up arts and music education at LAUSD conveyed was, you know, the teachers were just way more prepared for all the challenges that everyone is learning. And you, you've, you've got to go through the mucky stuff, right? Yeah. You, you can't go around the problem. You've, you, you've got to go, you know, you've got to go through it. Yeah. And- we're crawling through the mud together. And, but you gave, <laughs> you gave them the tools, right? Yeah. This is like a good military obstacle course. We're calling it life. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And, and, and the best thing, I mean, absolutely the best thing is just the way that LAUSD and the teachers have responded. And I think for them, you know, it, it's, you've got the challenges of reading, writing, and arithmetic, but for a lot of our instructors, a, a lot of those teachers, it, it gives them a chance to exercise that creative, you know, that creative muscle. And uh, it allows them to, you know, share and learn and teach and, and watch the kids learn, grow, and develop. And it is, it was, they got a lot out of it. All of the Fender employees got a lot out of it. And we're, we're just thrilled to be able to make an impact like this at this time. And then, you know, I, we, we want to go eventually to LA, excuse me, to New York City and Chicago and Nashville. And, and you know, and, and we're, we're learning in this first year and how to get it done, how to do synchronous and asynchronous learning so that when we do start to expand, we've got our stuff together. And what we don't want to do, you know, that, that sustainability conversation is just give guitars to programs and have those guitars end up in, you know, strings broken and in closets. And yeah. that happens if you don't, think about sustainability. It happens when you don't build the whole program up. And, you know, I, I, I just, I, I can't say enough about all the fantastic support that the, you know, the LAUSD administrators and, and teachers have done to make this a, a successful program. It's a powerful partnership in the lesson there. I was just recalling a friend of mine wrote a book called Shortcut to Startup and it's their mm. lessons as entrepreneurs. And one of the chapters and one of the big lessons is nail it to scale it. Okay. So love that. And, and, you know, again, we just were on a call kind of reflecting the summer, the nail, it was just the logistics of getting the instruments. Cause remember kids aren't in school, so we can't just, you know, ship a bunch of instruments to school and let them pick them up. We had to direct ship to kids' homes and, you know, work with LAUSD and all the COPE. I mean, it was a challenge to get all of that work done, but we knew we had to get it right in the summer. We knew this was going to be the big experiment. A thousand kids was a lot, but we learned through the scale. So, you know, nail it and then, I I love it. What was it? Nail it and then expand it? Nail it to scale it. No, you got to rhyme. You got to rhyme. Exactly. Bring that that to your 
Bring that to your next meeting. To scale it. Mm, yeah, all right. I got yeah, that. Yeah, Courtney and his, Courtney Rame and his brother Carter Rame are VC venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. And Shortcut to Startup is a great book. I'll put a look mm. at the link in the short awesome. notes. But there's some really cool things and it just just dawned on me. I'm like, that's exactly what you're doing and what so many of us can learn from, whether you're an entrepreneur like me, whether you're at a bigger company right. like Fender, whether you're Harley Davidson, it doesn't matter. But I think right. you're right. Like figuring that out before, right. <laughs> before right. you expand. Right. And what, what, what's been interesting, and again, this is why we've enjoyed working with Dr. McCarthy and his staff so much is, you know, we had a high beams conversation this morning, right? So we worked through all the tactical aspects of getting this done. We've got to figure it figured out. We've got our processes written. We nailed it. Now we've got to think about what is our longer term objective is we want to make sure that kids are encouraged to continue to play and, and, and continue with the skill because that's another life lesson, right? Stick with it. So we're thinking about, you know, how, what way, how do we celebrate those great behaviors? How do we make sure that parents are engaged and, and connected to what's going on? And feel the same sense of accomplishment so they can reinforce, you know, the, 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 the space that the kids are in where they're learning their voice. They're learning how to, you know, learning a new skill. They're learning how to be creative. And, you know, our, our team is going to really kind of think about, all right. Uh-oh. And, you know, we can't do it all. We've got to think about what partners, what are the appropriate partners. But we've got to think about how we encourage and, and, and continue to build those, you know, the, those skills and, and keep the kids playing. because. It is a life skill, and I mean, we it, it's it's it is exciting to have those conversations right now, and 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 I think it just speaks to you know the the nail it to scale it. We're figuring out after you know our our big experiment there in the summer, and and even with the fall program, you know, it's how do we now scale this to other other schools, other communities, and I mean, we're really excited by what we're seeing so far. I love it. I love what you guys are creating and that it does all the things that you're saying as well as we hear like parents' big dilemma right now is like keeping their kids off devices 24-7. And yes, I know that some of this involves us being in front of Zoom screens, but interacting with humans and 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 fostering our creativity and and expressing our voices. So it's also, to me, it's like, oh, amen, thank you for that. Because having more kids, especially at the middle school age, where it's not just, oh, I'm going to grab this device and I'm going to start playing something, right? Or or worse yet, scrolling through social media endlessly. Right. It just feels it's so constructive. And I, I want to ask you a question. So you mentioned the Fender Play app. Is that mm-hmm. something that people like me, like if I said you this whole thing has made me want to play the guitar again. I tried to learn when I was young and I sucked at it. And yet I always it's been a dream of mine. So could I literally get the app and a guitar and I could learn? We can get you taken care of. I think that's one of the really innovative things that Fender has done since Andy Mooney's arrived is we made a big investment in digital and, you know, the idea of, and, and you can appreciate this, you've got to have that pipeline of learners, right? You, you've got to make it easy to learn because when Andy arrived, he did some research and what they found was, you know, if 10 people pick up guitar, only one actually continues to play. Yeah. So there's a I'm part of the nine. <laughs> fallout rate from folks learning to play, right? So, you know, we, we did the research, we took a look at who was learning to play, and we've made a significant investment over the last, you know, five years in this learning app. You know, when, when COVID hit, we actually gave away, it was almost a million free three-month subscriptions. 
you know, it, it, it was really, really amazing watching the impact of folks just hopping online. You've got great instruction. It's a really, really well done learning app. And it's, it's, you know, what we're finding is the best learning happens when it's a combination of kind of online learning on your own and also a level of, you know, in-person or instructor learning. So we're learning a lot. We're, we're trying to do what we can to fulfill that need. And, and most of all with LAUSD, we're, we're just learning how to do synchronous and asynchronous learning. And we've got the app, we've got the instruments, and we, we, we've got a bunch of fifth through eighth graders who are really loving the experience of, of, of learning to play. Oh my God. I love it. You are inspiring me to want to learn how to play again. And I love it. I was saying at the beginning, like the early days of COVID, well, I should say the early days when we all kind of came out of that first three weeks of just like, what the fuck yeah. hit us? Like everybody needed to recover. We've never processed something like this before. And I started saying like, what would it be like to say, I want to consciously grow during this time and I want to make a COVID commitment to mm -hmm. what I want to create? And I didn't mean write the next great American novel or whatever. I don't think we need to put more pressure on ourselves. But I also think it's time and it's space in many cases that we didn't have before. And so how can we use this to our benefit and use this for our own conscious growth? Right. And now I'm like, oh, Maybe, maybe this is my sign from the universe to get back in. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens, Shelly. It's amazing mm -hmm. how we keep bumping to each other at these times and, and the, 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 the conversations become so relevant for the both of us. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it, it, I think it's a great point and it's, it's an investment in yourself. And I, I think people have to create a little space to make investments in themselves and whether it's learning to play guitar or in one of the Brene talks, you know, a good facial, you know, or wh whatever it is, it's, you got to have some healing space for self so that you're in a good position to go out and help the rest of the world, you know, heal and, and, oh, yeah. and, and just deal with, with, with all the madness that we're facing in 2020. Yeah, you are preaching to the choir. And like you said early on, like music is healing. Is. Music is expression. Music is healing. Music, I have a friend who just launched a single last Friday mm -hmm. called Rally Call. She wrote mm. it a couple years ago. African-American woman wrote it as part of an album she released. And it is never more relevant than today. Right. It is a beautiful song about just abolishing this ridiculous racist history and right. it's so powerful and it summons all of us and i'm like yet another reminder of the power of music, music. monique debose mm, i'll have to I'll yeah have to look her up me. yeah august it just came out last friday well august 28th so last friday from when you and i are recording this it's out in the world and i'm interviewing monique on thursday so you oh, nice. Monique will be coming out around the same time she's a brilliant artist who's also very well known for her one woman play called mulatto math um oh, wow. yeah and she's a jazz singer and writer and really really beautiful so I am also using my platform to celebrate diverse voices and to celebrate. I mean, honestly, it's like I just realized I am surrounded, not just realized, but I am realizing more and more, especially with this microphone and this platform, I'm surrounded by some of the most incredible people on the planet who have voice, who have big voices and stories to tell. Stories. And I want to mm -hmm. share them. Yeah. And so... I've loved, I've loved this. I have like a thousand more questions. 
questions I want to ask. And yet I think we are out of time. <laughs> yeah, Ed, this has been so cool. You're right. We do. We come back in into each other's lives at just these perfect moments, like the stars align. And I always learn something from you. I miss working. I miss working <laughs> with you, man. Like our time, you were running the plants at Harley. You're now running. Oh, wait, I've got to. I was just going to let myself go and, and ask people where they can find you, but I can't do this yet. I've got to ask you one thing. Following you on LinkedIn is so freaking fun because it's like you get the insider's perspective on what life at Fender is like. And so... I know part of your responsibilities in running all of operations is the Fender Custom Shop. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It is the dream. We call it the dream factory. And oh, my again, God. Yes. Just, <laughs> I mean, some of my greatest joy is just watching an artist who takes this object that we create, right? We, we manufacture an object. We turn it into an instrument. We give it to an artist. And then the real creativity starts. And, and the magic. for me, it's just like a mind boggling loop of like, whoa, what we do is cool. And, you know, one of the biggest blessings of working at Fender is just watching what artists do with the instruments that we make. And that, that it resonates in the factories, right? Yeah. And it, you know, all of our employees have a sense of, you know, the, the instrument that they're touching and sanding and smoothing and painting and, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's got a real purpose in the hands of one of those angels. Yeah, it's right? like you, you're watching what angels do with their wings. <laughs> That's it's it. fascinating. I thought you posted something the other day, and I don't remember who it was, but you guys made an acrylic guitar for someone. And I just looked at that, and I was like, that might be the coolest thing I have ever seen. Who is that for? It was for her. Oh, um, sorry. So the artist called her and it was for her 2019 Grammy performance. And literally this is, you know, the, the, the magic that happens when, when teams work well together, you know, we, we got a request for an acrylic instrument. We're like, wow, we hadn't made one of those since the fifties. You know, of course we asked the question, all right, so when do you need it by? And it was like in two weeks. And normally it takes about a month to make one of those instruments. Right. But we knew it had a chance of making it onto the Grammys. And one of our amazing engineers, Scott Buell, uh, in the custom shop, he says, you got to know how to talk to acrylic, right? So he, he actually had a block of acrylic on a CNC, a cutting machine, for four straight days. So normally it takes about a month. You know, you cut, uh, pop. For four straight days, he got the body done. We got the instrument built out in one week. We delivered it to the artist and it was one of the Grammy moments of, of, of 2019. So we took some orders for acrylic guitars after that and we've continued to make them. But again, it's just the level of artistry and creativity and, and quite honestly, interesting, you know, when we talk about vulnerability, our master builders, you know, they expose themselves to the world. Their, you know, their, their Instagram accounts are public and, you know, people are really quick to judge. And these are artists who really, you know, they, they expose themselves, right? They, it is amazing watching the level of character in those master builders in the way that they manage both praise and criticism. And I mean, that, that speaks to who they are and where they're from. And again, it's, it's, it's just one of the great joys of working at Fender. Oh man, you got, you are working on so many incredible things. I'm honored to know you. Thank you for agreeing to come and have this conversation. 
You are an amazing My human. Pleasure. And can My I just pleasure. tell you, has anybody ever told you that listening to you, you have the same quality of voice as Barack Obama? <laughs> That's the first time I've heard that one, but I will take that compliment and own it. So thank you. Oh, for it. it is. It's a massive compliment. And you know, you and I have had lots of conversations and it is just striking me now more than ever for some reason. There is just a resonance and a quality to your voice and your cadence of speaking. I'm like, I'm like lulled in. So anyway, <laughs> I hope everybody else has been sucked deeply into this conversation humbled, humbled with, a, with a former nerd. <laughs> stick together yeah Woo. i know exactly yeah i can't wait for that drink so where can people find you if they want to follow you if they want to learn more about fender play foundation all the things sure so I, i'm on linkedin under edward mcgee at fender and on instagram at haji224 and you know, i i think for the for the foundation we're actually in the midst of redoing the uh, the, the website right now but it's if you just search fender play foundation we are really working on a bit of a redo following our experience for the summer. And then we're going to, we're about to get into a big fundraising campaign to raise, you know, $15 million for, to fully fund the program over the course of the next five years. So you know, just go to the Fender website and under search Fender Play Foundation. And we'd love to have as much of LA or, you know, if you're around the country rooting for us in, in, in our year of learning this year, I would, uh, you know, I'd ask just, Click on that donate button and we really, really are committed to giving kids a voice and nailing it and then scaling it. Nailing it and then scaling it. Oh my God. I want to, I want to somehow be a part of the next generation awesome. of musicians coming to life. Awesome. So I will absolutely commit to that. And I hope that our fellow rebel souls will as well. And I can't wait to see you. I'm going to, by the way, be out in LA, hopefully sometime soon. So please let me know. Oh, you know, I will hit an outdoor cafe and deliver what the universe is asking of us. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. We're going to, well, we're going to go deep on Brene Brown. That's where it's all going to wow. start. We're going to just riff and then see where it goes. And if I can help you at all with any awesome. of that, seriously. So to Jeez. be continued, my friend, thank you so much. And thank, thank you. you to everyone listening now go riff on those guitars behind you <laughs> i promised ed i wouldn't put him on the spot <laughs> I, I don't want to embarrass myself or fender at this point so <laughs> oh. i love it and thanks for everybody for tuning in i hope you love this conversation as much as i did bye hey rebel thanks for listening if you were inspired by what you heard please subscribe rate and review so our fellow rebel souls can find us we have big work to do together and if you want to dive deeper head on over to my website at soulbatical.com and follow me at soulbatical on instagram until next time stay bold brave and badass and never stop asking what am i rebelling for